Hi, I'm Shane Robertson, and welcome to the Maysville Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here at Maysville, we want to practice loving God, loving others, and serving the world. I trust this sermon will be an encouragement to you as it challenges your heart and strengthens your walk of faith. Now, grab your Bibles as we get ready to hear from the Word of God. got your Bibles this morning, let me encourage you to find Acts chapter number 13. Acts chapter number 13. Uh, We're going to pick up here where we left off. Acts chapter number 13. I've been preaching through a series of messages entitled, Living with Biblical Clarity. And we're going to pick up here in this text. Just just remember the context here. The context is that uh, Paul and Barnabas has come from the church of Antioch to Jerusalem to deliver the missionary offering that they took took up. So the church of the dogs has taken up a collection, and they took it to the church in Jerusalem, and they've given it to them for the missionary efforts to help meet the need in the famine. Now, according to chapter 12, verse number 24, Barnabas and Saul have come back. They've come back to the church, and this is a shift. Chapter number 13 is a shift because we're going to be shifting from the focus of the church at Jerusalem to our attention on the church at Antioch. And it's a very fascinating uh, switch, and it's a very fascinating focus because the first 12 chapters really focused on the ministry of Peter, how the Holy Spirit worked in Peter's life and how Peter was used of God uh, to get the gospel from Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And now there is going to be this shift that takes place and the attention is going to be put upon Paul and how God, how the Holy Spirit uses Paul to get the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. And as it moves forward, that commission then falls upon us to where, yes, we still have what's called the 1040 window, which is a section of our, of our world today that still has not heard the full gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, let me be remindful of this. According to Romans chapter 1, they knew God and they didn't glorify Him as God. Neither were they thankful but became uh, evil in their imaginations. Their foolish hearts were darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They became as fools and they turned and worshipped the creation and not the Creator. So the Bible says they're without excuse. That's why they die and go to hell. So, man, that seems so harsh. No, that seems so urgent on our part to get the gospel to them so that they can receive Christ as Savior because they are walking and wandering in the darkness of sin. Have you ever heard that old adage? There's an old adage out there that says this. Some people make things happen. Others watch things happen while still others wonder what just happened. Uh, that reminded me of a little story that uh, I read uh, this week uh, that went along with the message today. I, I remember hearing a story about a preacher who was going to visit his shut-ins. and This was before the pandemic when you can go visiting. And was going to visit those shut-ins, and he was sitting down with one of his elderly shut-ins, and as he sat down to visit, in between him and his church member was a bowl of peanuts. And he picked up one of those peanuts. He says, you mind if I eat some peanuts? And the little lady said, no, I don't mind at all. And he ate those peanuts, and they talked and had a great time and even prayed together. It was a wonderful time of fellowship. And after it was all over, the pastor said, let me pray for you. And as he prayed for his dear church members and said amen, he looked over and said, ma'am, i got to apologize. I ate all your peanuts. And the little lady looked at him and said, oh, pastor, said that's all right. Ever since I lost my teeth, all I could do is suck the chocolate off of them anyways. Uh, I sucked the chocolate off those M&Ms several weeks ago. Now, there's a woman who can make some things happen right there. But that adage, the same thing can be said of churches. There are some churches that are making some things happen, especially during this pandemic. And then there are other churches that are wanting to see things happen, but nothing's happening. And then there are other churches that are basically dying on the vine, and they're asking the question, what happened? I don't know about you, but as pastor of this church, this local body of believers, I want to be a church that is known for our dynamic, aggressive outreach with the gospel of Jesus Christ with the purpose of making things happen. And that thing that I want to make happen is the Great Commission. And I want to see that done by loving God, loving others, and serving the world. But I want you to be mindful of this. And if you don't get anything I say today, please take this home with you. 
The key to making this happen is not me, is not our staff, is not our deacons, uh, it's, it's not to you. The key to making this happen is the Holy Spirit of God. Only the Holy Spirit can feel an individual, can feel a staff, can feel a congregation that moves us out of our comfort zone and gives us the liberty and freedom and confidence to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only the Spirit of God can make things happen. And only a Spirit-filled church will make things happen for the glory of God. So this morning, I want to preach a message entitled, The Spirit-Filled Church. The Spirit-Filled Church. Acts chapter 13 talks about the church at Antioch and gives us some insight into the Spirit-Filled Church. We are first introduced to the church at Antioch in Acts chapter number 11. In Acts chapter 11, we identify this church as a Spirit-Filled Church with a leadership and a congregation that God is using to make things happen. It's called the church at Antioch. This spirit-filled church is a church that is deeply committed to the Word of God. Now remember, the Word of God has not been solidified as far as its writing is concerned. It is still being written during this first century church, during this period of time. However, Jesus Christ has been born, he's lived his sinless life, he went to Calvary's cross, he died, he rose again, was seen of many people, ascended up into heaven, and was given marching orders, or a sermon, if you would, his last sermon as he ascended up into heaven. He's given this sermon. So we have all of the life of Christ that this church is teaching by way of the Word of God. That is the Word of God that this church is teaching. By the way, When you study the pastoral epistles, that is uh, the book of Ephesians and the book of of Colossians, uh, Ephesians and Colossians in particular, you see that a requirement, a requirement for having a spirit-filled church in the pastoral epistles is a commitment to the Word of God. Why do we have such a mess going on in our culture today? I'll tell you the reason why. Because we are not committed to the Word of God. If we want a church that's going to make a difference in our community, if we want a church that's going to make a difference in our nation, if we want a church that's going to make a difference around the world via the internet, then we've got to be committed to the Word of God. And brothers and sisters, when you commit yourself to the Word of God, you fulfill a requirement of having a Spirit-led church. And so we come to chapter number 13. And when we get to chapter 13, we see a turning point In the book of Acts, the first 12 chapters have focused on the ministry of Peter, and the remaining 25 chapters are going to focus on the ministry of Paul. Paul, up until uh, this point, has been relatively quiet, getting his training and learning how to depend upon the Spirit of God. And in chapters 13 through 28, we're going to see how God uses by His Spirit to impact Paul's life to see the gospel spread throughout the Roman world. And making its way, even if you would, to North America. And so thank God that there's a doctrinally sound, growing, spirit-controlled church called the Church at Antioch that we can look at and say this. If we want to have a spirit-led church in 2021, all we've got to do is look at the Word of God. And we've got to look at the church at Antioch and say, God... We want a church like that. And when you say you want a church like that, that's in Scripture, then you want a spirit-filled and a spirit-led church. I want you to notice with me this morning the works of the Holy Spirit of God in this first century church and how He works in our church even today. There are three things I want to point out. I may not get to all of them. I'm not going to be in a hurry this morning. But I want you to get these because I want it to be an encouragement to you. Number one, the first thing I want you to notice about the Holy Spirit in this text is that the Holy Spirit is involved within the church. Notice the Holy Spirit's involvement within the church. It's found in the first three verses. Look at what the Scripture says. The Bible says, Now, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers... As Barnabas and Simon, that was called Niger, 
and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manon, which happened, uh, which happened, which had happened to have been brought uh, up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I've called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them, and they sent them away. Here in this passage of Scripture, we see the Holy Spirit's involvement within the church. And when you look at this involvement within the church, you see that there are uh, three, if you would, Three simple involvements that the Holy Spirit of God gets involved in within the church. Let me point them out to you. Don't miss them because we want our church to be just like this. Number one, you see the Holy Spirit's involvement within its simple structure. Within its simple structure. Look at verse number one. Don't miss it. Did you see the two structures that we get? He says, first of all, at Antioch, there were certain prophets. Stop right there. Prophets. Here is the first foundational structure of the first century church. They had prophets. Now, we've got to understand what prophets are here because there's a reason why you call me Pastor Shane and not Prophet Shane. Why is that? Well, when we look at the first century church, we see that prophets, just like apostles, they were preachers of God's word and were responsible in the church to instruct the local congregations. And so God would speak to the prophet, and the prophet would proclaim the word of God to the people. Now, it's interesting to note a few things, like number one, these prophets received new revelations from God because the word of God hadn't been completely written. So before the completed Bible, they would receive these revelations from God, like, for example, Acts chapter 11, verse 28 and again, we see another example of this in Acts chapter 21, verses 10 and 11. It's worth noting that when you look at those two verses, and I challenge you because of time, I challenge you to look at these two verses and study them and see this for yourself. The, uh, the uh, prophets of that day, when they received the revelation of God, they received it to give to the church in a practical aspect and not a doctrinal aspect. You see, the apostles received from God to give doctrinal truth. The prophets, on the other hand, received practical truth to give practical truth to the church. So the prophets function as receivers of divine revelation ended when the cessation of the temporary sign gifts were given. Even their office stopped. So this term, this term prophet stopped when the word of God was complete. That's why Peter said, we have a more sure word of prophecy. We don't need any new revelation today. We need to follow the revelation that God gave us. And by the way, any practical instruction that God might give us that we might consider revelation, if it don't line up with the word of God, it ain't nothing but indigestion from Taco Bell. Can I get a witness right there? And so it's got to line up with the Word of God. If it don't line up with the Word of God, it's not biblical. And so the prophet received this revelation. But these temporary sign gifts stop after the Word of God was given. Also, so did apostleship. That's why you don't call me apostle Shane. You don't call me prophet Shane. You don't call me apostle Shane. And might I add, according to the Word of God, if you see someone that's called a prophet or you see someone that's called an apostle, you better tuck tail and run because that's not what the Word of God calls them in the pastoral epistles. The Word of God says I'm a pastor. The Word of God says I'm also to exercise as a teacher. The Word of God says I function as an elder. And the Word of God also calls me an overseer. It's vitally important that you understand what the Word of God says because if not, you'll be sucked into a religion that to lead you away from the Word of God. And so we, we want a biblical, spirit-led church. And so according to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, and, and Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through verse number 19, these elders are pastors. These uh, overseers are pastors. These pastor teachers that we find in Ephesians chapter 4, this is the New Testament church because of the, the stopping, if you would, of the term prophet and apostle. The number one requirement of an apostle, they had to see the risen Lord. 
And there are only a certain amount of people there, according to the Word of God, that has seen that. So that's worth noting. Number two, the prophet also in this text, which would be equivalent to the pastor today, the prophet or pastor also edified the saints by preaching expositionally of the existing revelation. Uh, we find that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 20. In regards to this preaching the Word of God unapologetically, in form of preaching the Word of God just as Jesus had said, what, are you ta- what would they be focusing on, Pastor? If they didn't have the completed Word, all they had was the Old Testament. The Word of God was being written. But don't forget, the apostles and many of the disciples saw just exactly what Jesus did and how Jesus spoke it and how there are people alive that saw Jesus and clearly understood his teachings. And so these pastors would stand up in their congregation and say, remember what Jesus said when he ascended up into heaven. You heard it with your own ears. And they would call on Jim Smith. Jim, what did Jesus say on his way up? You were there. And Jesus said just simply this, I'm going away, but I'm coming back. You are my witnesses, and you'll receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And he would expound that teaching that Jesus said with his own lips. So although uh, the prophets of that unique kind no longer exist, The similar gift of preaching the Word of God still remains. It gives us pastors and evangelists who speak and proclaim. According to 2 Peter chapter 119, it's called the prophetic word. Today, I may not be called a prophet. I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet. But the only thing I do is work for a non-profit. And I'll tell you, the Bible says that I'm giving to you the prophetic word of God. That's the prophecy. Not only that, when you also study the Word of God, you still see vital to the spiritual health of the church is this proclamation of the prophetic Word. And the Scripture also says this. The Bible says that all the way to the return of Jesus Christ, this spirit of prophecy, according to Revelations chapter 19, verse 10, is to be preached throughout the whole world. So I preach to you. The revelation of prophecy, the prophetic word of God that is just simply this. Jesus came, was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, went to Calvary's cross, died, buried, and on the third day rose again because his blood cleanses us from all sin. He says there are prophets or preachers. Number two, not only do we see the Holy Spirit's involvement in its structure as it relates to prophets. Number two, he also says a second term. He also says, teachers. You see that there? Teachers. He says there's this structure of prophets, but there's also this structure of teachers. Notice the scripture, verse 1. The Bible says, and now they were at the church that was at Antioch, certain prophets. There's your pastors. And he says they're also teachers. Now, as you make your way through the New Testament and you find yourself in the pastoral epistles, you'll notice that your pastor should be a pastor teacher. He should be able to pastor, to preach, and he also should be able to teach. But there is a sure distinction here in this first century church that's led by the Spirit of God that gives us insight to the fact that God has gifted some not only to preach, but he's gifted others to teach. And so the ministry of teaching is having a clear understanding of biblical truth and communicating that biblical truth to those Disciples, those individuals that are following Jesus Christ. And so there's this distinctiveness of ministry that we see here in relationship to pastors and teachers. And the point that we're finding here in the text, according to verse number 2, the Bible says that as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, uh, Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I've called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. Here is the activity of the pastors and the teachers and the congregation. They're working together in unison and the point that I want to make here is simply this. The structure of the church should be simple. It ought to be simple. There ought to be pastors and there ought to be teachers. When you look at Maysville Baptist Church, you have to consider, you have to think, do we have pastors and do we have teachers? 
And if we've got pastors and teachers, we have the simple structure that's necessary for the Holy Spirit to get involved within the church. And might I add, the Holy Spirit is involved within this body of believers through its simple structure. Number two, let me give you a second thing. Not only do you see the Spirit's involvement within its simple structure, you see it's also in His involvement within the spiritual leaders. Did you notice there in verse number one, the Bible lists five pastors, teachers of this congregation. There are five of them. What do you take away from that? When you look at this, you see that this is a multi-staffed church. They had more than just a pastor. A lot of individuals, often even some of my peers, they say, man, how do you pastor a multi-staffed church? I do it like the Bible says. The Bible says there were pastors and teachers there. There was this multi-multiplicity of pastors that were there for the purpose of raising them up so that you, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit could call them out and they could be used of God wherever God has called them to serve. So when you think about the spiritual leaders, these five prophets and teachers are pointed out here as an example of spirit-filled leadership in the first century church. And we ought to be able to look at them and we ought to see the diversity that exists in these leaders and ask ourselves the question, does our staff here at Maysville Baptist Church, do they have this same uh, multifaceted arena in regards to the first century church? So what do you mean? Let me show it to you. Watch this. This is fascinating. He tells us there in the text, he says, there was a man by the name of Barnabas. No need to go into Barnabas. We know that Barnabas is the son uh, of uh, consolation. That is, that he's the son of encouragement. That's what the apostles called him. We know he was born a Levite. We also know he's from the island of Cyprus. Uh, we know that his birth name was Joseph. That's what they called him. But the apostles said, no, you're, you're an encourager. We also know that it was Barnabas uh, who convinced the skeptical and suspicious believers there in Jerusalem that Saul really did get saved. It was Barnabas, if you would, who was the individual, the pastor that, that the church at, uh, at, at Antioch put their stamp of approval on and said, you need to go see whether or not those folks are really getting saved over there in the Gentile church because I'm hearing they're getting saved. We don't know. Go over there and check that out, Barnabas. It was also Barnabas who got Saul at the church at Antioch, uh, if you would, to come and to help teach, or excuse me, got, got, got him uh, uh, from Tarsus and brought him to Antioch to said, help me teach right here this church because God is doing a great thing. And the point that I'm trying to make here is this. Barnabas was a man that was filled by the Spirit and he encouraged others. So you got an encourager on this staff. Number two, the second person you got is a name by the name of Simon. Who is this? Simon. In fact, the Bible says Simon was also called Niger. When you study the Word of God and you come to that word Niger, that word Niger means black. This was a black man. Here was a black man that was a pastor on staff here at the church at Antioch. And as he's there at Antioch, there's been many speculation as to who this man was. Some say it was the Simon that's found in Mark chapter 15 verse 21. Uh, there's not a lot of proof of that. It could possibly be. It could be. He could have been the one that carried Jesus' Jesus's cross. We're not 100% sure of that. But this one thing we do know, whoever he is, God points him out and says, that is a spirit-led man that's born of the spirit, that loves God with all of his heart, and he is on staff at the church at Antioch. Number three, there's a third individual. It even gets even more, even more in detail. He says there's another man by the name of Lucius of Cyrene. Now, why is this important? It's important because Cyrene is North Africa. Here is a second black man that's involved in the church at Antioch who's a pastor of the church that God is using mightily to help disciple everyone that's in the church. The point that we're seeing here is that there's this multiplicity of race that's taking place here in this first century church. Some say that this Lucius was the one that was greeted in Romans chapter 16, verse 21. There's no evidence of that. Some argue that point. It's not worth arguing over. What is no doubt here in this, in this passage of Scripture is that there are different nationalities taking place 
inside the church at Antioch. And might I say, there are different nationalities here at Maysville Baptist Church in relationship to where each one of us are from. I don't know if you know this or not, but David is a Cherokee Indian. And he's got, he's got uh, his certification. He don't mind me saying that. But the bottom line is simply this. There is this multiplicity, if you would, of, of nationalities that exist in our congregation. I preached today, and sitting on the very back row was a sweet Chinese believer that loves Jesus with all of our heart. Watching today are individuals. Last week, I got, a, I got a message from Africa. And sometimes, listen, sometimes when I get messages for Africa, they're asking me to help them and, and send them money. But this one was quite different. This message from Africa came to me and said, Pastor, in fact, it said this. Oh, it said, Oh, man of God, thank you for preaching the Bible Thank you for pointing out the Bible. I heard the message today, and I can't wait till my family gets home. I want to sit them all down in front of the television, and I want them to hear the message you preached on perseverance. Thank you for encouraging this saint in Africa, period. And then he signed his name. Oh, listen to me. We are reaching the nations today. Through a multiplicity, through the multiplicity of the, the nationalities of the staff as we reach out and share the good news of Jesus Christ. And then watch, there's a fourth one. i got to hurry. There's a fourth one by the name of Manon. Manon says that he was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Now, th this is important. I want you to think about this. Put your thinking caps on. You don't want to miss who this guy is. Remember, this is a pastor or a teacher or both on this staff. According to the Bible, the Bible says he was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Who, who is that? He, the scripture is telling us that this man is the foster brother of Herod Antipas. He, this man, Manon, grew up in the home of Herod the Great. Remember Herod the Great? Herod the Great was the one that brought in the Magi and, and, and told the Magi to go and find the Christ child and come back and tell him so he could come and worship. All the while, he wanted to kill Jesus Christ the Messiah. That's the home that this man grew up in. In fact, he was the foster brother of Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas, remember, was the Herod that listened to John the Baptist preach. And what did he do to John the Baptist? Off with his head. He cut his head off. But here is this half-brother that watched from the birth of Jesus Christ to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he said, y'all can do whatever you want. I believe Jesus is the Messiah. And he got saved and God called him to be on staff at the church at Antioch. You have an individual here that lived in a house of royalty. I wonder if he took care of the finances of the church. Maybe he was the Mark Edwards of this church. I just wonder. And then number five, you've got a Saul. Saul needs no introduction. We know Saul to be Paul. Throughout the tireless efforts of the gospel, Paul worked for the Lord Jesus Christ under the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God in such a way that the next 25 chapters of this book are dedicated to his ministry and how he listened to the Lord Jesus Christ. These were the shepherds that led the flock of the first century church, the church at Antioch. And they all had one thing in common. Every one of them were led by the Spirit of God. This morning, you might, uh, you, you don't see what happens behind the scenes. Uh, I, I know you don't see it, but... We're sitting there, I'm, I'm in the back, I'm, I'm in the pastor's reception, and I'm just thinking about the message and, and wanting to, to share with you what God's put on my heart and excited that we've got a baptism. And this happens sometimes, sometimes when family members are coming to this church to watch one of their loved ones get baptized. Google, Siri, somebody messes up the directions and sends, sends them to somewhere else. And 
that happened today, and, and, and here's my heart on this. My heart is, all right, well, we need, we're waiting till the family gets here. We're not going on without the family. we wait. And so the question in the pastor's reception room is, well, how are we going to handle this? You going to put it here? You going to put it there? Where are you going to put the baptism? Where are you going to put the baptism? And I just simply said, let's stop just a minute. The Spirit of God will show us where to put the baptism if we'll just depend on Him. Just stop. Let's live the Spirit time to work. Then everybody left. David came over. He put his hands on me. He prayed. And then you saw what happened today in the worship. See, that, would, that wasn't planned. Wasn't planned. God made it happen that way. The Spirit of God moved to put the baptism just exactly where He wanted it to be. So the, the point is just simply this. The leaders of the church come from different backgrounds. And by, and by the way, let me say this parenthetically. Don't ever forget the background of your pastor. Bless God, it bless his heart. He come from Alabama. If God could use a donkey, you finish the rest. So the Spirit's involvement with the church, he's, he's involved within its simple structure pastors or prophets, teachers. He's involved in its spiritual leaders. There's a multiplicity of leaders. There's multi-staff multi members. People say, well, I don't think you need to have that many staff members. Why, why do we need to have that many staff members? Because the Bible, the Bible talks about a multi-staff. And I don't know about you, but I am grateful. And I don't, you don't know what an encouragement is to me to watch and for me to be able to have just a little bit of involvement in watching these guys grow up in Jesus Christ and being dependent upon the Holy Spirit of God. But watch this. Here's a third one very quickly as I, as I run out of time. Two minutes left. That's all I got. Watch this. There's also the Spirit's involvement within its specific outreach. Notice what the Bible says in verse 2 and 3. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work wherewith unto... Watch this. Don't miss this. I have called them. Here in this text, we see the Spirit's involvement within the specific outreach of the church. And when you look at the outreach of the church here in regards to this congregation, uh, you see that the outreach that it had is very, very specific. As a matter of fact, uh, there are four. I'm going to try, try to give you all four. I may not get to all four. I'm going to try to give you all four in the next few minutes and close up because my time is gone. But I want you to see the Spirit's involvement within the specific outreach. Number one, the Spirit is involved in ministry. Look at what the Bible says in verse number two again. Notice the text. As they ministered, don't miss this next part, to the Lord. You will never have ministry for the people until you first understand your ministry is to the Lord. Okay, so I can't be effective this way unless I'm effective this way. And what that means is, it means I've got to be in a right relationship with God if I'm going to be in a right relationship with you. And in being in a right relationship with God uh, means that I practice what I preach. If I tell you, and I've already talked about this, I touched on it before last week. If I share with you that one of the principles of God's word for a Christian is to lock your gaze on God and only glance at your problems, then I ought to be able to walk in that in the trials and tribulations and tough times and difficulties that I have in my life. And so that's what God's doing here in our congregation. In our congregation, God is allowing things to happen within our congregation so that we'll be able to properly minister to the Lord into others. In fact, this word ministry there, originally it meant to discharge a public office, but it goes even deeper than that. It goes deeper than that in the Septuagint when it talks about exercising priestly duties. As a matter of fact, when you look at Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 through 16, we see the spiritual sacrifices that I am to offer and we're to offer together as we minister to the Lord and also to other people. We are to be a people of prayer. We ought to be people of prayer. 
Number two, we ought to be people of oversight when it comes to the flock. That is to say, I take care of the flock of God that God has given me. And in return, you take care of the flock that God's put over you, you te- the teachers. Uh, we would not have been able to do what we do in this pandemic if it hadn't been for the Holy Spirit's leadership. As God leads me, and as God leads you, and as God leads us in unity to move forward for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number three. The third one is in the area of studying. The Bible says it's, uh, that as a pastor, I am responsible to study. And then I also am responsible, number four, for preaching and teaching the word of God. Again, I call your attention to verse two that says that this ministry was not to the congregation, but it was to the Lord. And it's through the outflowing of it being to the Lord that the people get their needs met. You see, it's critical that you understand this. I don't work for you. The staff doesn't work for you. We work for the Lord. And in working for the Lord, what our desire is, is to fulfill the great commission that we grow up in Jesus Christ. See, this is not the deacon's church. This is not uh, the pastor's church. This is not the staff's church. This isn't even your church. This is Jesus' church. And then if it's Jesus' church, then it's my responsibility to walk with Jesus To communicate the truth of God so that in unity we can move forward together. Watch this. We see this of great interest because he comes to the second thing. And i got to hurry and i got to wrap this up. But I can't just leave you hanging without giving you these last three. Number two, fasting. Number two, fasting. He says not only do they minister to God, which is an outflow of pouring, ministering to the church. But he also says that they fast. Uh, The Bible frequently connects, connects fasting with times of vigilant, passionate prayer. The Bible does not and never requires or commands believers to fast. But Jesus assumed that if you were his disciple, you would fast. Now, fasting is a, it, it, it's, it's a tough thing in the West because we are so medicated I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying it, it, it happens. But if you're not fasting in one way, shape, or form, then your walk with Jesus Christ is not complete. If Jesus assumed, David, that you would fast, then you need to fast. Whether that be fasting from a Coca-Cola or fasting from a television show or fasting without food. Most of the time in scriptures we see this fasting taking place uh, in regards to food. But the most important thing is that this fasting is in sharp contrast with the showy, hypocritical fasting of the Pharisees. We don't walk around with a cheek sucked in and say, Oh, I can't do anything today. I'm fasting. I can't do that. No. We fast to the Lord. What we're seeing here in this that the outreach that the church has is the outreach of ministry to God first and to others. Fasting, and then number three, the laying on of hands. You see that there? It says the laying on of hands. The Bible talks about that in this passage of Scripture. He says that when they had laid their hands on them. What is that? The laying on of hands is neither granted by Saul and Barnabas, but by the Holy Spirit, not to ordain them to ministry, but as an example of the church letting them go. Now, turning loose of them, saying that we have no ties to this. Let me just give you an example of what I'm talking about here. A lot of times when I get some of our young preachers to preach, You'll come to me and you'll say something like this. Boy, they good. I, I, hope, I hope they don't leave us. I want you to understand that's not my prayer. My prayer is that God would use them however God sees fit to use them. You tell me you don't. No, I want them here. But I want you to notice here in the text, the church let them go because the Holy Spirit already called them. You see, our staff is not our, it's not our staff. It's not my staff. It's the Holy Spirit's staff. And the Holy Spirit called out the best of the best in this congregation. Man, if it had been up to us, we'd say, oh, we can't let him go. We can't let Paul and Barnabas go. We can't let What are we going to do without him? I hope that you've seen in my ministry here, in my ministry, if the Lord sees fit for me to drop dead right now, We're not going to miss a beat. 
we got five more pastors behind me that can step right up and keep going with the Word of God. This ministry is not built upon me. This ministry is built upon the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And if we're going to have a spirit-led church, then the spirit's got to be involved within the church. And through his involvement within the church, there's going to be ministry, there's going to be fasting, there's going to be laying on of hands and letting people go. And by the way, I put it in my, in my notes somewhere. You, you realize how many people we, we have let go uh, here at the church to go minister in other areas? God called, out, called them out. I, I think about Michael Fisher, who is teaching right now at another church, was a member here. We, he got called out by the Holy Spirit. and We laid our hands on him and, and let him go. Put, put Say, yes, Lord, we agree with that. Dan Branch. When I came here, Dan Branch was teaching uh, high school students. And I'll never forget, he came in my office, knocked on the door, walked in, and just simply said this. He said, Pastor, he said, I, I, God's calling me to missions. We laid our hands on him and, and sent him out. There, there are others. I'll have to share them with you next week because my time is gone. The point is simply this. We lay our hands on individuals, and that's been the hardest thing during this pandemic. Because I desire to lay hands on folks and send them out for the glory of God. And that's what it says in the scripture. And then number four, the fourth thing they said is they prayed. You see it there in the text. It's there in the text. I didn't put it in the notes up there, but it's there. Verse three, when they have fasted and prayed. Prayer is a part of Holy Spirit's involvement. And so we find here in the text, the Holy Spirit is involved within the church in its structure, in its leaders, and in its outreach. When you look at Maysville Baptist Church's structure, do you see these things? Even in the midst of this pandemic, we've seen God move in such a mighty way. Twelve people get saved yesterday. Dylan surrenders for baptism. Others have surrendered for baptism during the pandemic. We've had folks get saved and get baptized. We've had to show it on video because we weren't here collectively together. So we just broadcast it to the entire world that they got saved. In the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of our heartache, in the midst of our hurting, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our difficulty, God is moving. Why? Because this is a spirit-led church. I ask, in our, I ask you this this morning in regards to being spirit-led. As Baptists, we're terrified of the Holy Spirit. We're scared to death that we're talking crazy stuff, barking like dogs and rolling around on the floor. That's all we're talking about. We're talking about listening to the discerning power of the Holy Spirit of God to move in such a way where the most amazing miracle of all is people get saved. You might be here today and maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. I can assure you today in a spirit-led church, God is doing something in your life today. And that thing that he's doing is drawing you and calling you to himself. And through that wooing and through that drawing and through that calling, the question is, what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? Listen to me, sir. Ma'am, I don't care where you're watching from. Whether it be in the UK, whether it be in, in uh, France, whether it be in Asia, whether it be in Africa. Here's the question you've got to deal with today. What are you going to do with Jesus Christ? What are you going to do with him? He's either Lord or you think he's a lunatic. But when you read this passage of scripture and you come across a, a man by the name of Manon who grew up with Herod the Great. And sees the forces of darkness in comparison to the forces of light. And he walks away and says, not, not only do I believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah. I surrender to him 100%. And the Holy Spirit of God calls him to be a pastor at the church at Antioch. What's God calling you to do? I can promise you this. The first thing God's calling you to do is to get saved. Sir, that's what God wants for you. He wants you to get saved. Ma'am, he wants you to quit playing games and get saved. Listen, I'm telling you. I'm not trying to be uh, bombastic. I'm just trying to be truthful with you. God wants you to be saved. He wants you to be saved. And so how do I get saved, Pastor? According to the Word of God, according to what the Scripture says, 
The Bible says, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Next week, we're going to look at this and we're going to see the whole purpose for this narrative is so that one man can get saved. Dear brother and sister in Jesus Christ, we're here today to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And God's challenge to you, lost person, is this. You need to be saved. God's challenge to you, saved person, is you need to be filled with the Spirit. God's challenge to us as a church is that we need to be a Spirit-filled congregation that moves forward, even in the midst of a pandemic, for the glory of God. Does that mean we're not going to have hard times? Brothers, you better believe, sisters, we're going to have hard times. We're in the midst of a difficult season in our church. Sammy House, Dan Barron, uh, Keith Hotch, Mike Poole, Mark Shirley. We struggle. I'm coming down. Listen to me, television folks. I know we're going to be in the dark. You don't have to tell me I'm in the dark. We're working on it. I promise. It's going to be fixed by the end of February. But i got to come down. We're hurting. But I'm going to tell you something. As born-again children of God, we've got to change our perspective on death. Please hear my heart here. For a born-again child of God, death is a doorway. And when you think about You think about what happened to Sammy House that would sit right there and shout hallelujah and praise God and preach me up one side and down the other. He's in heaven today. Mike Poole made them knives. Man, I'll never forget the first night. Man, I got a display of Mike Poole knives. I'll never forget Mike Poole came up to me one day and said, let me show you something about this knife preacher. He said, I've tried my best to get the gospel in every knife. I said, how'd you do that? He said, look at this knife. Look on the spine of this knife. And on the spine of the knives, when he finally got right with God, he started embedding crosses in those knives as a testimony of Jesus. You know where Mike Poole is today? Heaven. So how do you know that? Because he trusted Christ as his Savior. Mark Shirley sat right here. Praise God every time. Man, one of the greatest encouragers. Worker for Jesus like you've never met. I mean a worker for Jesus. Where's he at today? Heaven. David just did Keith's funeral yesterday. A man of God. By the time I got here, Keith was so affected by Parkinson's disease, he couldn't come to church. He's suffering. But he never lost his focus on Jesus. He'd watch our services online. He'd praise God. You may not see him here in this place, but he was praising God at home. And thank God, you know where he's at today? Heaven. Got two funerals today. One's for one of my deacons, Dan Barron. Loved him with all my heart. He's a man of God. You know where Dan is today? He's in heaven. This afternoon, we'll have another funeral. Four o'clock, got two today. One right after church, one at four. Mike Poole. I've already said it before, I'll say it again. He's in heaven. Listen to me, what I'm telling you, to you, telling you is this. In the midst of our difficulty, in the midst of our trial, we've got to understand God has allowed for this to happen to us so that we'll lock our gaze on Him, only glance at our problems, and say, look, we are moving forward with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we are, we are a spirit-filled church. So, Greg, you put that precious daddy in the grave... One day, we're going to go see him again. It's hard for us right now. But we're going to get through it. 
And we're going to get through it because we're depending upon the Spirit of God to move in the lives of the children of God so that we might give the glory of God to our great God and King. Amen? Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you uh, for our time together. I just can't seem to get my act together on this 930 service. Lord, if someone here needs you, I pray today would be the day they trust you as their Savior. Lord, would you please let the Spirit of God move in such a way that the children of God might be challenged to walk in greater, closer fellowship with you. And also, number two, God, that a lost person might be saved. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Could we all stand? As we stand, I'm going to sing. We're going to sing. Not me, but we're all going to sing. I've decided to follow Jesus. As we sing this song today, you might be here. Maybe you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Maybe you've never made a decision to trust Jesus. Listen to me very carefully. If you're here in this room, it's going to be simple. If you're listening by way of the radio or podcast, you're going to have to pull over. You're going to have to pull over, okay, in order to be saved. They say, well, you don't have to pull over. I don't want you closing your eyes when you pray if you're driving, okay? That's what I mean. That's what I'm talking about. If you're watching by way of video, here's all I'm telling you. The Bible says in order for you to know you're going to heaven when you die, is you've got to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart. We're going to find next week that this man that got saved, this is how he got saved. The Bible says he was astonished at Jesus' doctrine. That's all you got to do is you've got to be astonished. By Jesus. So today, if you'd like to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, would you say something like this to God? You you don't have to pray it out loud in your heart, silently, right where you're talking. Look, seriously, just to Jesus, say something like this. I know I'm a sinner. I confess my sin to you. I repent, and I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. As a pastor, my primary concern is your eternity. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that you can know where you will spend eternity. I would love to connect with you and talk more about your walk of faith. You can email and find more information about the ministry of Maysville Baptist Church on our website. Just type maysvillebaptist.net in your search engine. Also, you can support this ministry through our website, or by mailing your gift to 8875 Highway 82 Spur Road, Maysville, Georgia, 30558. God bless you, and I hope you tune in next week where once again we turn our hearts towards the Word of God.